Hello, No Code Nation. I'm Ayush, and you're listening to my No Code Story, the only no code podcast focused on real people and their authentic stories. Welcome to the future of the indie movement, where creators, freelancers, automators, and founders build products all without writing a single line of code. If you have a business idea and you're just learning about no code tech, this is the best companion podcast for your journey. Learn from some of the best minds in no code. Let's go. Before we get started, I have a small favor to ask. If you like what you hear on today's episode, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps more people benefit from the pod and lets me know that we're on the right track. Now, onto the show. Hi, my name's John Darbyshire, and this is my no code story. John, welcome to the show. I'm so excited, super excited to talk about uh, your background, to talk about Smart Suite. And um, this interview actually happened, it, it happened very naturally, right? Um, I know you've indicated that you've listened to the podcast in the past and uh, your team kind of reached out to see if we could get connected. And, and as I was, uh, talk about your story, and as I was kind of researching um, the topics to cover today, I was just you know, flabbergasted by the, the variety of stuff that we have to talk about. So I'm really excited to get into everything enterprise, intersecting with no code, intersecting with just professional development and leadership and, and all of these other topics that we don't get, usually get a chance to talk about on the podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And, and like we communicated before, I, I've uh, listened to quite a number of podcasts and a big fan of what you're doing in the no code space. Awesome. So you were the, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you were the youngest partner at Ernst & Young. How does that happen? Like what, what were some of the things that you worked on? And I just find it so fascinating that someone that's relatively early in their career could rise to being a partner at Ernst & Young pretty quick in, in their, in their trajectory. So how does that happen? Sure. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm, if, if I'm still the youngest partner that was in Ernst Young, but at that time I was the youngest direct admit partner uh, to come into Ernst Young. And the way that story happened was I ran a, a, a security, um, a cybersecurity practice for PricewaterhouseCoopers in the Midwest region, really at the very beginning of cybersecurity kind of taking hold. And we were doing really, really well. Um, kind of bumping into Ernst & Young, uh, even internationally. And uh, Ernst & Young came calling and said, hey, we would like for you to come over and be a direct admit partner and start our global practice. Um, so we negotiated for a few months. I never thought I would leave Pricewaterhouse at the time, but it was just too good to be true. They gave us a really big budget to build just an incredible team of people. Um, and that early team that we created that was kind of on the management team that helped manage about 1,500 people uh, globally I've went on to create some of the biggest cybersecurity companies that you know of today, like George Kurtz at CrowdStrike, um, Stuart McClure at Cyvalence. Uh, one of the people was the uh, the CIO at the White House under Obama. Like it just on and on stories of just a great group of people that we were able to bring together. So uh, talk me through some of the background before you actually were made partner. Um, what was What were some of the qualities that you worked on as you were kind of planning your career and planning your professional development, what were some of those leadership qualities that you worked on? Because I, I kind of equate this to founders that are fairly young, that are faced with you know talking to experienced VCs and uh, experienced 
teams in general and being faced with the same task that you were faced with, which is building a, a really robust team of top-notch professionals that can grow a product and, and a program. So t- tell us, what are some of those skills that you felt you developed that were really helpful to you once you were made partner? Sure. Yeah. I, I think, you know, my first really big job was Pricewaterhouse, kind of running this Midwest region practice. And what we did really well and what I learned there was how to productize the services that we are offering to our customers so that we could go into each customer with a list of services and price ranges and rates and say, this is exactly what you will get. This is the type of deliverable that you'll get from that. Here's examples of those deliverables that are there. We call that productizing kind of at the time. And we were one of the first um, practices inside of Price Waterhouse that, that was able to do that at a level that allowed that group to really scale, right? We were a young team. It was easy to productize and then to scale. And I think that's what Ernst and Young noticed first was that we were just very organized and what we did very consistent in the delivery of our services. It made it very easy to train new people to come on board around the services that we had to offer. And what Ernst and Young allowed me to do was to scale that at a level much larger than I had anticipated prior. We started in the U.S. practice, which was broken into 19 different geographies at the time. Each geography kind of did their own thing and were able to bring structure to all of those geographies and then train their people. And it was good for the the region and it was good for the national practice that I was a part of at the same time. Uh, and then we were able to take that same vision and then scale it internationally, right? So now we had a a group of people uh, around the world that were trained on the same methodologies, the same way to deliver things. We could begin to trade those resources between these different geographies on projects and everybody had a consistent understanding of what needed to be done that was there. And the, the, the team that we built as part of the national practice that went on to do some great things were, were pretty young at the time, but they were just really innovators in their particular areas. Um, and brought a lot of expertise, you know, to how to do things. And then they were able to share that information uh, with other people to really build that practice overall. So you said something in there that I, I, I caught up uh, caught up on, right, uh, which is um, productization. And one of the things that I know, having worked with consultancy firms in various capacities over the past decade in my career is uh, there have been a lot of these attempts at productizing knowledge and productizing delivery mechanisms for consultancy firms, uh, but very few have actually succeeded. And uh, the implementation of it actually becomes um, it, it becomes very custom and bespoke when you go from one client to the next. And uh, you aren't really able to productize with the efficiency that you thought you would. Uh, are there some lessons there that you, you could share with our audience where if if we talk about, if we hone in on just building a company and training up employees and just onboarding and ramp up of employees, what are some of the things that a founder could focus on to make that process really efficient? Are there other processes they need to be thinking about as well as, as you're talking about this? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of processes that a founder needs to get their head around, you know, to run a business. But, you know, if, if, it, if it's a services business first, you know, one of the first things you need to think about is just understanding the services that you offer, how you package and price those. But on the documentation side, the methodology is what is the crucial part. And, you know, what I really learned at, at Price Waterhouse and Ernst & Young was how to do a really good job of that packaging. 
And we had a lot of tools because they were an audit and tax firm and they were very efficient at how they created the methodologies around how to perform an audit, how to do tax. So we, we took that same approach to how to really relate to governance, risk and compliance or cybersecurity types of processes uh, that were in place. But the thing that, that we did that was different is it was my first entree into no code really, which is we built a, an access database to house all of this information. It made it very easy for members of the team to share best practices when they found better ways to do things. And it really became a, an interesting community. Like all of our employees were part of the community and sharing information and we were constantly getting better. So from one project to the next, we followed the same methodology, but maybe we had better tools to do it or a better way to do it, or maybe a better deliverable that could come out at the end. And that's what made that particular company uh, or that group so successful was the community of the people that were doing the work sharing uh, with each other. And when I do have the chance to speak with founders uh, about companies, whether it be a product or a service site, you know, I spend a lot of time focused on your user community and how do people inside of your ecosystem share information with each other and then back to you to make your products and services uh, better. That's so valuable. Um, one of the other nuggets that comes to mind is the fact that you've invested in what seems like a ridiculous number of um, companies uh, during the time after uh, your, your stint at, at Archer. Do you want to kind of talk to us about what you look for uh, in, in founders and in the companies that you're looking to invest? And how have you taken that mindset to building smart suite and how you are now approaching potentially raising funds and, and so on. So there's a lot that I want to unpack there, but let's start with your experience as an investor and what you were looking and what you took from that. Yeah, I'll, I'll share first the, the best piece of advice that I ever got when I was starting the journey from entrepreneur and selling, uh, you know, Archer Technologies to kind of moving into more of an investor role was, you know, focus on the people, not the idea. Right. And this came from a, a, a good friend at Bain Capital. And I didn't follow that advice for the first couple of years. Like I got so excited about the ideas that were coming to me. And I always thought I'll help the entrepreneur get there or they'll find a way to get there. And after about year two or three, I really realized what Bain Capital was trying to tell me was it, there, there are a lot of great ideas, but there's not as many great people that really have everything that's needed to bring that idea to market or to scale that I idea uh, that's there. And you spend a lot of time on not just the founder, but does the founder have one or two co-founders that really rounds out that team so that you've kind of got the technology, the sales, kind of the energy in the company as part of the founding team? Or do they have, you know, employees that they brought in as employees, one, two, three, or four that have that energy and that background to, to help do that? So my lessons learned in talking with founders is to really get to know them, understand their story. I love stories when I ask people like, tell me about your first job. And they say, uh, you know, I had a paper route when I was 12 years old before I got up to go to school. Right. And like, and, and instead of saying my first job out of college was X, like I, I like working with what I call grinders, which are the people that they're just built that way. And They've been working hard and not really understanding it since a very young age. It, they just kind of built that way. And when times get hard and you need to figure things out, like I really like working with the grinders that they just stay with it, right? They don't always get it right, but they have a better chance of getting it right because they just won't let it go. Uh, that's there. And some of the other people that had great ideas that I worked with that just weren't able to pull it off were really good at the vision. 
um, and they really got me excited about where it could go, but they didn't have the, they, they, they didn't want to jump into the details every day and, and figure it out. Right. They, they wanted to talk about the vision and the success of the company more than they wanted to actually do the work to be successful. So that's what I've learned over, you know, 10 plus years of investing is I gravitate towards the, the people that I think are just, you know, the grinders to get work done. And I try to pick the ideas that, uh, that I like that are kind of from that, that group of people. And I, I had another interesting person, um, on the venture side, share information with me, maybe five years ago about a number of venture companies in, um, in the San Fran or a number of startup companies in the San Francisco area being successful where the people had attended Stanford and been the editor of the Stanford review of, you know, the newspaper that was there. And that got, got me really thinking, you know, it goes back to the, the PayPal days and, and such kind of coming through there. Um, you know, the, the pedigree of the people and the types of jobs that they maybe do has an impact maybe on their success, you know, longer term uh, that's there. And in that particular case, that venture person uh, liked to invest on people that had that certain pedigree. And he said, I don't care what the idea is, they're going to be successful. And here's why I can show you the last five have, and they've done really extraordinary things. I don't know if it's this one or the next one or the one after that, but one of those you know, they're going to be successful. So they like to invest very early, you know, when it's just an idea before a line of code has ever been written, they're investing in the people uh, that's there. And uh, some of the best companies that I've had the opportunity to be um, associated with kind of took that approach. It's just amazing founders. You can tell there's something different and they have a great idea or a good idea that they're going to really make great because they're just there. the nice thing about this grinder mentality or mindset that you talked about is that it leaves proof right so it's not something that you can just turn on one day and, and start to kind of execute at the level that's needed um, at the same time it's also a muscle that you can kind of over time hone to you know, get better at getting into the details, asking the right types of questions, etc. So I, I took a lot away from what, what you described there personally, um, but also maybe there's some kind of a stage gating there as well, right? Because when you talk about the founders that have uh, a lot of focus on vision and strategy, uh, maybe it's just that they're they're building that vision and strategy at the wrong point in time when they don't quite maybe either have a product market fit or they're they're too early, they don't have the the groundswell of customers that are wanting their technology and it, and or, or the number of employees that actually requires kind of a vision to tell the story and and make the uh, make the core values kind of resonate with with the wider um, with the wider employee uh, base. Yeah, you know, it, it's I, I have to say, you know, being a founder is is hard in so many ways, right? You 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 have to have money to fulfill the vision that you that you have, and and when you approach investors, you have to have a vision that's going to excite them. But at the same time, like you have to make it happen on the other side where you have to get into the details uh, that are there, or you have to have people working with you that are really into the details and you've got your hands uh, on that. Uh, but, you know, the founder has to be able to step in both of those environments at different times that's there. And some of them get so caught up in fundraising that and focus on the vision that they forget about doing the work, to, you know, that's going to fulfill that vision uh, that's there, or they don't have the money to hire the people to really fulfill the vision. So 
they keep talking about the vision, hoping they'll get more money and they can never get out of that cycle. Yeah. So uh, uh, the reason I kind of chronologically kind of flipped the script there and talked about your investing years before, you know, the, the time that you spent at Archer Technologies and, and selling that massive business to, uh, was, it, was it sold to EMC? Was that uh, who purchased it? To e Correct. Yeah. Sold to EMC in 2010. That's amazing. Congrats on that. And um, I would say that's, that's kind of um, timing wise as well. It, it seems to be just, you know, coming out of the, the recessionary years, uh, just when, uh, you know, everything was starting to pick up. So I think timing wise as well, hopefully that, that worked out really well for you. And um, uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to hear these types of stories where founders are, are able to, you know, sell the businesses that they built and then go focus on something else. And to me, now pivoting a little bit to smart suite, um, you define yourselves right. as a no-code work and data management platform. And uh, one thing that I picked up while I was uh, again looking through your your product and your website was uh, that this is something that you worked on before. You alluded to this, where you helped your your team uh, link up and access database to a little bit of a front end and uh, productize portions of of your workflow. Uh, but tell me a little bit about the genesis of uh, that idea. Was it like a customer pull at this point, at that point in time, like in, in 2000, when you first built this? And I know there's a ton that's different now versus back in you know the early 2000s. Right. Uh, but what's what stays the same? Like, what is it that that you did in 2000 that's also the same right now when you think about no code and, and this movement that we have going? Sure. Yeah. The idea for Archer Technologies was that when I was running the practice at Ernst and Young, you know, we were going to hundreds of cups, you know, customers around the world providing these services. We get done with the service and issue a report, and they would say, "Hey, can you come back in six months and and do this work again and tell me all the problems that you found." And it, it kept hitting me that what they really need is a process that they manage internal in the company that does all these things and they're fixing and finding all these, these vulnerabilities each day. And the services that we offered were mainly around cybersecurity with organizations that were trying to come online for the first time and online banking was a big part of that. So they needed to know all the systems and applications and people and processes that were involved in bringing online banking live. So we would, you know, basically had a group of, of people that were uh, looking at all those systems and helping them understand you need to fix all these problems that are here. So I, I left Ernst & Young to start um, Archer Technologies and I took probably about four months and I just had to sit down and try to figure out like how does all this fit together if I would manage it as a process in the same way that you manage, you know, sales, marketing, HR accounts, receivable accounts, payable type. And I, I can still remember the day I had a little blue book and I was just writing all my thoughts down for months. And then it just hit me. Like I figured it out and I couldn't believe that I figured out this problem. And the first thing I did was I approached uh, a customer EDS at the time, which was a very large integrator out of Dallas, one of the largest. And I said, look, I've figured out this problem. Here's how all the pieces fit together. I've had this little, I, I had a three and a half inch diskette with some HTML on it to show it, some screens on how they might look together. And EDS came back and said, after just one meeting, we're sold. Like, we need this. We have to have it in our company um, to be able to manage all the processes that we have. We need you to be successful and to build this. So before we wrote a line of code, we actually had a customer, wow. uh, which is kind of rare in the day space. And that customer itself, they we, we tried to sell the products as a, a SaaS products when the word SaaS wasn't part of the vocabulary back in 2000, 2001. 
and we said, Hey, not only are we going to charge you a pretty big price for this, but it's, it's every year. It was about a million dollars a year at that time. And, uh, I, I think the negotiation was really interesting. I went into negotiation and I think I said like five or $600,000 and the person across the table said, no, we're going to pay you eight fifty. And I, I took back and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I thought, you know, what did I say? And he said, look, Joan, we need this product so bad that you need to be successful that a couple hundred thousand dollars, I want to make sure that you have to go build it exactly the way it needs to be built. So that's what started Archer Technologies was, was that relationship. And then what we found in the first three to six months was we would, we were building out these processes. We were hard coding many of them with, you know, basically fields that are on a page of, you know, information that you need to collect and workflows. And I would go visit with the people at EDS and they would say, but can you change this drop down to a list of uh, radio buttons, right. right? Can you change this text field to a text area, right? And it, it just hit me as I left there one time that what we really need to build is this library of all these field types that can be added to a page. So you can drag and drop these items around on the page in any order that you want to see them. So that every time I talk with someone, you know, we don't have to go write more code. We're just organizing the information in the process they, the way they want to see it. So it seems like a pretty simple idea. Um, it took us a while to, to figure that out about a year. Um, but when we figured it out, 29 of the top 30 financial services companies in the U S became customers in about three years. So we really moved across that space and then we moved into the tech space and the healthcare space and just insurance space kind of, and we were really focused on enterprise accounts. So, you know, most of our customers were, were paying anywhere from $450,000 or more per year for the product. So a pretty good price tag, but they had tens of thousands of users uh, as well. And what, what we found, what happened was there were nine core processes around security that need to be managed in a company, but the way we built the platform, it allowed them to really automate any process. They could build any type of process that they wanted in the company. And we had uh, one company, one financial service company in particular in New York that when we visited them, they took us to their IT team and they showed us that they had built a couple of hundred other, what we called apps, which are processes inside of the organization that for different groups that they were managing. And they were using us as, as a, a you know, as a no code platform to build things before the word no code. I didn't, hadn't really heard it a lot at that point. Uh, the concept I knew, but I hadn't heard the word no code uh, that was there. And that idea stayed with me in as we were selling uh, Archer to EMC, our vision was to move outside of just the core security processes into any business process in a company. And EMC came back right after they acquired us. I think it was like the day after. And I still remember talking with the, the CEO uh, on their side. And he said, look, John, we have a product called Documentum that's very uh, close to a no-code platform like Archer can do. And, um, we've agreed not to compete in that space. And we're going to use Archer just in the, the governance risk and compliance space uh, that was there. And that was a, to be honest, that was a pretty big letdown. I felt like, oh, like my vision was out here and they're just going to, you know, go with a piece of that. But they were able to take that small piece of the vision and just really dominate that GRC space. You know, today they do about, I think, 750 million in recurring revenue. Like they're just, they're the main player that's in that space. And that core platform that we built in, you know, early two thousands is still the platform that they use today to manage these, 
tens of thousands of customers that they have. Wow. Um, and, and coming from sort of the enterprise space, uh, you were talking about governance, risk and compliance and, and audits. And these are things that founders in the no code space, at least right now, uh, the community that we have going, uh, maybe skewed a little bit more towards, you know, the, the freelancers and individual creators and so on. Uh-huh. Um, what is it that you feel you can bring from that enterprise uh, uh, SaaS application world to smart suite as uh, I understand you're, you're also putting in a lot of focus on just building smart suite for the enterprise right now. So what are some of those things that you feel make building for the enterprise unique? Yeah, let, let me just share one thing that kind of sets the stage for that journey in that inside of Archer, we started an Archer certification program where we certified had certified Archer professionals, which was a five-day training course that people went through. And uh, today, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's well over 15,000 people have been through that training. And there's a whole group of creators that have built their careers around working inside of SmartSuite. So I learned very quickly from that, that like it was interesting to see how many people, their entire career uh, has been built just on that product alone and creating things and processes in SmartSuite or, or in Archer. So the idea with SmartSuite, you know, I had retired for about eight or nine years, done some investing. I really, uh, I'm not a great investor, but I felt like I was a really good no-code uh, creator. And I wanted to create a platform that that had enterprise level features, but could go from startups to SMBs to enterprise. So really take the enterprise features, bring them to the masses at a price point that's not been seen before. Um, and at the same time, we want to build a creator community. Like we want people to be able to come in and automate any process or project that they have inside of their organization using our platform with a very easy drag and drop, no code interface. Uh, but we want the, the interface that we've built, we've spent a tremendous amount of time on is specific to millennials and Gen Zers. Like uh, we, those are the people we feel do work in organizations and we want the interface to coincide with the way that they want to work and interact with the people that they work with. So we've tried to create this this really interesting um, collaborative space between creators that want to have opportunities to consult with companies and help them build processes and the actual companies. And during that that process, how they can actually collaborate and share, share information and see things in real time. But then when they turn the product over to the customer, uh, you know, the customer can collaborate with inside of the processes that they're doing in a similar way that Maybe millennials and Gen Zers are used to using Facebook or Twitter or, or Instra, you know, d- different products like that. So our, uh, you know, the vision of our company is really to manage any process or project in a company on a single platform, uh, which, uh, you know, you've got some really interesting project management tools that have been pretty successful. And then you've got some really, really high-end business process automation tools that are kind of legacy that have been around a long time, don't have great yeah. interfaces take a lot of consulting to get things set up. So we want to be in the middle of that, where we have the same ease of setup that you find in the project management tools. We want to not, we do project management and do it well, but we really want to be known as a business process automation tool uh, that's there. And you can model out any process that you have in your organization, in most cases in about 45 minutes, depends on the complexity that's there. If it's a super complex process, you're talking a day or two. And a lot of people kind of, you know, we can say, yeah, you know, that's, that sounds great, but can you really do that? And, you know, if you understand the process that you want to build and the systems you want to integrate, you, you absolutely can't. So, uh, 
as I was kind of looking through some of the functionality that was available in the product, I kind of stepped through a lot of what you had listed on the site, you know, automations, status of availability, you know, you have your calendar view, card views, chart views. Then I started thinking, you know, you're operating in a pretty crowded space because you have, you know, the notions and the quotas of the world that are appealing to individual creators and are offering some of the similar functionality, but maybe not so much of a robust database angle to it. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you have project management tools like you called out, maybe like a Monday or a ClickUp that also are kind of operating in the same space. Um, and I kept stepping through all of this functionality until I stumbled upon Smart Docs. And I think that's where it started to come together a little bit for me. Um, when you talk about bringing work and data together into a single flexible process that can be modified based on the team that's implementing it, or the use case, uh, you're really integrating data, but also your uh, data and processes, but you're also in, in integrating the documentation aspect of things. Um, how do spreadsheets play into this? Do they play into it at all? Or does the database kind of obfuscate the need for spreadsheets and you just do everything in the database? Uh, how are you thinking about like uh, uh, some of these comparisons with like a Notion, a Coda, a Monday.com or a ClickUp? Sure. Yeah, we're, our our vision is to really take all you know the the seven the five to seven different products that you use each day to kind of do your job and to bring those feature sets into one core platform that maybe has ninety to ninety five percent of all of those features across those products into one place. That starts kind of at the bottom of the stack with like form builders where you just need to collect information and bring data in. You've got more collaboration tools that are like the Notion and Coda that's in there. Got kind of a step up from that with the project management tools, with the clickups and Mondays and Asanas. A little bit above that is like an Airtable, more database focused uh, that's there. And you know, I could keep going. Then you've got point solutions for HR and for sure. customer support and such. So we've taken the features of all of those things, try to understand what are they. And our goal is to give you 90 to 95% of that functionality across all of those products in a single platform, even Zapier bubble, those types of things on the integration sides of our app builders uh, that are there and really kind of blur the way that you think about spreadsheets and docs and collaboration and forms and, you know, looking at a calendar or Kanban view, like it's just all in one place, uh, simple to use. And, and, you know, our grid view is basically a spreadsheet, you know, you could go in and, and, uh, inline edit. Uh, your information right in the spreadsheet if that's what you want to do or you could click and pull up a form that has all of your your fields in in more of a a form that can be controlled by person and who can edit what information that's in there what fields can be shared between people or not viewed at all so we're trying to like blur the lines and kind of start a new a new way to think about no code that just brings everything together and the value prop that that we are trying to promote is that you can stop using maybe three, four, five of those products that you're using right now and have all those capabilities in a single platform. And if you're an SMB, you know, a small, medium-sized business, there's a lot of ROI savings in that I don't have to pay for four platforms. I just pay for one. I get the same feature set. If I onboard a new person, I just have to onboard them to one product. If they leave all their data is in one place, you know, and, and so on. And uh, we'll, we'll see if we're able to 
prove this out over the next, you know, two to three years, but that's the vision that we have is to, to bring all of your work into one place. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a really ambitious vision that that you have for uh, for Smart Suite, and like I said, it's a fairly uh, crowded ecosystem that you're in. But again, we said the same thing maybe in the '90s about like Lotus Notes versus Word being the two main sort of uh, uh, document uh, tools that you had out there, and then Google Docs came in and changed the game. And now I think. You know, everyone's right. trying to iterate based on what they have and how they're able to push their vision forward. Um, I want to talk about this concept of lock-in, which I think if you're sort of an independent creator um, or a freelancer, you can learn a lot from what enterprise-focused SaaS companies are doing in terms of platform lock-in. Um, and the, the equation I want to kind of provide here is something akin to like a a Google Workspace type um, uh, type product suite, right? Where um, you're essentially, what you're saying is using something like Smart Suite, you could just do everything in Smart Suite and uh, kind of not really have to use like a Word and an Excel combination or, or a Google Docs and Google Sheets combination. But those platforms have lock-in in, in different other areas like, you know, enterprise email, you have a whole host of enterprise solutions that are built in around, uh, you know, risk and tracking of just employee communications and, and so on and so forth. Um, how are you viewing the platform lock-in or functionality that you provide that that makes your platform stickier? Uh, what, what would some of that be? Yeah, so I think the, the, the first part I'd like to say is that we don't see us completely replacing a spreadsheet or, you know, a Google Doc there's a time and a place to use those. But what we find is that people often use those to do things that they're not really meant to do. And when you have 10 or 15 people on a team trying to manage yeah. a process in a Google Doc and a spreadsheet, it's not the best thing you know, for the company and doesn't provide the ability to report and run metrics and you know track the history of things, those types of things. So, you know, some of the key things that we that we provide that we try to lock in on, uh, one you mentioned is a smart doc. You know, our, our smart, doc, smart Doc feature gives you capabilities of a Google Doc inside of a database, basically. So you have a form, you add all the fields. One field type is just what we call a Smart Doc. has all those same types of features that you would see with with uh, rich text editing and, you know, formatting options and adding files and links and linking to other things uh, that are in there. But the beauty of having it inside of a record is what we call it, is it's in context to the work that's getting done right now. So when I, it's not just a document, it has all the data, the database around it. So if I need to search or sort or run reports, I get all of that information together. Uh, we also provide commenting, uh, what we call conversations in the context of a record. So if I need to have a conversation with you about the work I'm doing, I just click one button, it slides open the conversation panel, it looks like Slack. Um, you go in, I have my conversation. I can assign things inside of conversations to people if I need it to be a little bit more formal. But the next person that comes in to look at that piece of work has the context of all the conversations in that place. So maybe if it was in Slack or somewhere else, you'd just be in a long list of things and out of context to what it is. Uh, so we try to bring the, the context in. And then we also, which is important for a lot of companies, we add an activity history. So every change to every field in that record that it's made goes into an activity stream. So I could look at that particular piece of work and see Here's what was done a month ago, two months ago, three months ago, and it shows the prior value and the new value. So you have that 
uh, that stream of information. And as we talked with millennials, as we were building out the interfaces, they were really keen on being able to stay up to date on what their teammates are working on. And that allows us to create those activity streams. So now I can create a stream around a particular thing like customer support or customer care or more, whatever it might be, even a project. And I could just see what's happening that day. It kind of, what people are working on is just kind of coming through the feed uh, that I have in there. Got it, got it. And, and uh, so, I think functionality wise, I really came to appreciate the richness of functionality as I was reviewing it. Uh, I wasn't really familiar with the, the, the smart suite application originally, but as I started to, and, and I think the, the kind of thing that, uh, that convinced me really was as I was reading the formula builder article, it went from really mushy at the beginning, which is most products, right? You can build formulas, you can build any type of formula and that's it. To then being really detailed as you got towards the end, showing, you know, what's possible, what types of functions are possible. And and I I never see that on like a a consumer website. It's usually hidden in the details and some kind of a support log or something like that. And I was really pleased to see that you had taken the pains to not only show that there's a simple formula builder, but also an advanced one that not only has nested statements, but also like database linking and stuff like that. So that was, that was really heartening for me to see. Um, but functionality alone doesn't make or break a company, right? It's, it's how you execute. And you've obviously built multiple right. times uh, teams from the ground up to, you know, uh, several hundred people. Um, tell us about how you're approaching team building at SmartSuite. How, how strong is the team right now? And what's your vision for the next couple of years as you build your, your product uh, solution a bit more fully? Sure. Yeah, we spent almost three years kind of behind the scenes being very quiet, building the platform inside of SmartSuite. Uh, that's why it, 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 it bothers me that you haven't heard about us, but that's the reality of we've, we've tried to be very quiet on purpose. And we've had a little over 100 developers on our team working during that period of time to build the core features that are needed. Our thought process there was that to compete against other people that are in the space, we couldn't deliver a a regular MVP product like most companies do and build on it. We knew what the people needed to solve the problem and they had to have all of those features together for this to make sense to them uh, that was there. So that's why we spent such a a, a large amount of time. It was was just a massive undertaking just to build the core platform uh, that's there. Uh, we have people in nine different countries uh, that are, are, are part of our team. We're a remote focused team. Uh, our vision uh, from an employee standpoint is to find the best people anywhere anywhere in the world, but find them kind of in clusters uh, that are there. And um, we feel that that brings like a unique perspective to the product and the interface and the people that are using it because we've got people in the Ukraine and in uh, Bulgaria and Serbia and in Russian and Brazil, you know, in the UK, like everybody has their own experience. And when we have conversations about how to solve problems, it's great to have all those different perspectives. We're also trying to attract an audience of customers from all those locations. And we need their perspective from those local, uh, you know, the customs or culture that they have uh, inside of that. So um, we thought it was a pretty novel era uh, idea two and a half years ago, three years ago when we said, Hey, we want to find employees anywhere in the world, not just 30 miles from one geof- you know, uh, geographic location that was there. But then COVID hit and now everybody kind of went remote. It doesn't sound so novel, um, but it's it's the way we built the company. We use uh, Google Meets every morning across all of our teams for three hours of standups in different areas that take place. So everybody feels connected. 
Um, we haven't been able to be in person as much as we wanted to because of COVID traveling, but I still try to travel and meet as much of the team as I can. Um, here going into the latter you know, part of this year will be the first time that we'll be able to bring larger groups of people together for two or three days. Uh, so they get to know their colleagues, not just from Google meets each day, but, you know, in person uh, for a period yeah, of time. Yeah, that, that sounds amazing. And I think it's it's not dissimilar from the experience of a lot of companies during COVID, like you said. Uh, but I think one of the differentiating factors might be that you might actually be one of the companies that continues this remote work uh, type approach uh, in, into the long term versus what we're seeing right now in a lot of situations is companies having employees come back into the office on sort of a mandated basis, at least a few times a week. Um, when I when I looked up uh, Smart Suite on Crunchbase, uh, it listed two employees, and it said that you were a private company. And um, I'm just curious in terms of growth goals. What does uh, you know fundraising in a tough market environment look like for you? I'm sure you're you're spending I don't know if it's sleepless nights or not, but at least several days thinking about uh, you know how you're going to approach growth over the next couple of years. Um, Tell, tell sure. us your thoughts about where the market is, where you think it's going, how hard is it now to raise funds versus maybe six months back and how you're approaching it? Yeah. Well, first off, I'll say we have quite a few more employees than just two, but we've also taken a unique approach on the employees in that what we found is that not everybody wants to be an official employee of a company. They're happy with a contractor status with all the benefits that you get from being an employee, but they like to be their own creators. And we're some of our best developers uh, don't want to be associated with one particular company, and we're fine with that. It took us a while to understand that, uh, but we we actually we love that model now, and we're open either way. When we want to bring somebody on board, we sign an agreement for a period of time. It's the same whether you're an employee or not, and you know the same types of features. But you decide: do you want to set up your own LLC and be a part of that, or do you want to, you know, be a, an employee of, of Smart Suite uh, that's there? Um, Say that quite the second part of the question again. I just lost. Yeah, track so it's of, just about fundraising right now in a tough environment and how you're oh, yeah, fun, yeah. growth in the next couple of years. Yep. So, um, you know, I, I've been fortunate that uh, to date I've put in about $15 million to build the business where it's at today. Uh, of three of our partners that we've that we've been working with have asked to take a portion of their um, their fees in stock, which is just great to hear that they're passionate about what we're doing and see the value in that long-term. Uh, we are in the middle of a fundraising round right now, or we're uh, actually having discussions for what's either being considered a, a late seed or an early uh, series A uh, investment. And we'll, we'll probably be making a decision on a direction for that in the next two to three weeks uh, as well. So we haven't noticed yet that it's, uh, we've heard that things are getting tougher kind of uh, in the overall market on the BC side, but I haven't experienced that. The conversations are still pretty fluid um, that we're seeing. Uh, Got current. it. And, and from the from the tone that that I sense there, I'm probably sensing that uh, what's going on at Smart Suite is nowhere similar to what we're hearing on Layoffs.FYI about all the other like f companies that have raised Series A and Series B rounds at um, a, a billion dollar plus valuation. Um, so, uh, <laughs> how are you approaching sort of the uh, the push and pull that? Uh, we're all coming to expect over the next uh, 12 to 18 months in regards to the valuation or the expectation the pressure that that puts upon you know company growth and the number of employees or in this case contractors that you're able to retain at any given point in time 
that there's a couple of different ways to look at a business. You know, some businesses are trying to get to break even as fast as they can. They see value in that. The venture uh, firms that they work with find value in that. And then you have another group of venture firms that, that would say, we, we don't care about uh, break even. We don't care about the losses. We're, we're concerned about the number of customers and to get as many customers as we can to dominate a market. And then longer term, we'll think about, you know, how do we get to profitability that's, that's there. And you even, you've even seen companies in this kind of no code space that have went public with that same mindset that still aren't profitable and needing to bring in large amounts of cash uh, that's there. We want to kind of be in the middle of that. I, I've always built and thought about building businesses that are break even to profitable first uh, that's there and then scaling. But I have a, a group of people that are really showing me that there's a lot of value for, you know, every dollar of marketing that you spend, if you can get at least a dollar back in sales, there's great value in that because the value of the company is maybe 15 times that number. So really you got $15 for each dollar that you put in the business uh, that's there. So in our discussions on the venture side, um, we're focused on the next 12 to 18 months of funding that we need to kind of stay in the space that we're in right now, but add to that really a, a growth engine around more sales and marketing uh, that's in place. And then at the end of that term, kind of look, that's when we would be in a position to look for some of those larger valuations, bigger numbers that you see coming from, uh, you know, some of the no code players. And I just have to say that some of them just, it, it feels like funny money. The numbers are so big and the billions of dollars so fast, not being profitable, having a lot of customers, but not even having a lot of revenue uh, at this point. But um, I think that the venture community understands that the next trillion dollar company is going to come out of the no code space. You know, a lot of people talk about like, this is the space of the future that you're going to see some of the largest companies uh, come out of. And it's probably not just one, it's probably three uh, that's there. Um, and you know, there's some front runners, but we're going to do our best to, uh, to, to catch up with some of those well, guys. It was, it was truly fascinating to hear you describe that. I, I completely obviously agree with the sentiment. Um, could you kind of, uh, as we, as we wrap up the conversation, could you give us uh, maybe uh, uh, one or two tips that you would give any new person that's uh, that's uh, kind of just discovered no code or that is trying to do something for themselves, maybe not as as grand a vision as Smart Suite in terms of building a product, uh, but maybe they want to build a business for themselves uh, using no code tools, helping small and medium sized businesses. Uh, what advice would you have to someone that's new to the no code space? Yeah, I, I think first, you know, you look at the creators, the people that are thinking about maybe they're in, they're in jobs right now and they may be thinking about leaving those jobs to kind of be a creator and to be their own freelancer and work on their own. Uh, that's there. I think that it, it's a very special time for that to take place. A lot of people are moving that direction and not hiring some of the big consulting houses versus these independent mm -hmm. creators. And you can make a really good uh, living doing that. And, uh, you know, our partner strategy is to cater to those types of people to make it easy for them to understand how to build their business, uh, to be successful kind of doing it themselves uh, as well. And then you've got the other side, which is, or really the no-code platforms that are that's spunning up in every kind of business you can imagine has a no-code platform. And, um, you know, on that side, I tell people, you know, follow the customer, you know, customer-inspired features are what set companies apart and your user community is where that happens. So if you have a great user community where they're really sharing information and promoting each other, that's when you see some really special companies uh, get built. So I would say the, the, the biggest thing that I could share with the no code, you know, new startup is focus on the product, but 
spend as much time on the user community. Yeah, that's really great advice. Um, I'm really glad that we took the time to uh, connect and uh, get to know one another. And thank you again for sharing your valuable experience with everyone that's listening out there. Um, I had a lot of fun uh, talking with you today. And um, I think a lot of our audience would now be uh, remiss if they didn't test out Smart Suite and some of the functionality that uh, that you have on offer. Why don't you give our audience a handoff to where they can learn more about you and uh, if they want to connect with someone on your team, what's the best way to reach out? No, I appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, you can go to smartsuite.com. Uh, we have a, a free 14-day trial, no credit card uh, required. Uh, you can just click, come right into SmartSuite. We have over 200 business process templates uh, that are available. You just click and download a template and a template is a full-blown business process. Um, it's not just a template with three or four fields. It's a best in class of way to manage a particular process. And uh, you can contact us at any time. There's lots of different ways on the page, or you can just try it for yourself. You know, try it till you like it. Uh, we have a free version of our product that's coming out here in two weeks so that if you get done with the trial and you're still not sure, sure about it, you just click over to the free version and it's free forever. Uh, we just kind of limit, we limit that to three people and to the volume of things you can do. And then if you want to Upgrade our pricing starts at $10 per user per month. So we try to be pretty low with our entry point and then our enterprise level pricing goes to 34 or $35 per user uh, per month. Got it. Well, thanks for all those details. We'll make sure to have them in our show notes and uh, it was great meeting you, John. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right. That was the show. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed it and got a ton out of it. If you did, there are two things you need to do. Number one, make sure you subscribe to the show to get notified when a new no-code story drops. And number two, I want to ask you a favor. Who's the one person you know who would absolutely benefit from hearing this story? Text them right now and send them to mynocodestory.com and reference this episode. Maybe they're an entrepreneur, maybe they can use this episode to level up at their job, or maybe they're just someone who loves creating new things. Do it. Subscribe and then send them the text. Make a difference. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next one.